The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, Alexis McGill Johnson. Thank you so much for being here today. It's been a month of Sundays, Zerlina. Good morning. <laughs> too long. Too long. <laughs> so too long. So hi. How are hi. you? Hi. So I, I I feel like my first question is simply let's sort of set the lay of the land, if you will, right? I don't know that I've spoken to you, or I can't remember speaking to you since the Dobbs decision this summer. Um, So how are you reflecting in the months since June um, on the decision and the impact the decision has had? And, you know, all of the reports that we've read throughout the course of the last few months um, about tragic situations actually happening on the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, I I um, can't remember the last time I talked to you, and I, you know, I think just over the last seven months of being immersed in um, and the reality of of what it has meant to have a fundamental constitutional right taken away from us, what we have seen so far is about eighteen states have moved quickly to pass um, abortion bans, uh, incredibly restrictive to all out bans. And they're in various states of, of litigation. Uh, we know that one in three women of reproductive age in the U S more trans and non-binary people no longer have access to abortion in their state. Um, and I think when you, when you talk about the, you know, the harms of what people are, are actually experiencing, you know, it's, it's exactly what, what we saw happening under SBA in Texas. Uh, when people get restriction, um, restrictive access to abortion, it makes it harder for people to get life-saving medical care. Um, the burden, obviously, is on people of color, uh, low-income rural communities, folks who uh, have the least resources, who are the most marginalized in our healthcare system and sit at the intersection of multiple injustices, mm-hmm. are now having to travel out of state. And there are many people who uh, have access um, and yet they still can't get the care that they need in state. People who are uh, experiencing miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, uh, other pregnancy-related complications, um, just because there's so much chaos and confusion around the laws right now. I mean, it, we were talking a lot last week about the chaos and confusion on the state level. We talked to healthcare providers um, from multiple states, Wisconsin. Um, we also talked to someone in Arizona. And I feel like the chaos is a part of what is exacerbating the problem. It's not just that the constitutional protection um, to bodily autonomy and abortion care has been stripped away. It's also that every state is different (laughs) and every state Mm -hmm. has its own hodgepodge of laws or even new trigger laws in place and nobody knows what to do. Can you talk a bit about some of the most troubling stories that you've heard 
Um, because I mean, I just have the picture in my head of doctors on the phone on hold with the, you know, their lawyers or insurance companies to figure out if they can give someone care while a woman is like bleeding out. Right. We've read stories like that. I mean, talk a bit more about, about some of these harsh realities. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're turning doctors into lawyers. Um, they are, they're exactly as you stated, they are worried about, um, how to provide care. Look, I have a, um, a, a friend, someone who's involved in the, in the organization, um, at a very high level who, uh, was, uh, is based in, um, was traveling on business to Texas and, uh, she's pregnant. She was experiencing some bleeding and her doctor told her to get on a plane that it was better for her if she got on a plane and came back to the state where she lived because, um, they just weren't sure what was going to happen when she went into, uh, the hospital in Texas. And so you have people making these decisions that are really inconsistent with everything we know about, you know, about medicine, um, because they are they are worried about the the risk to their patients, the risk to what it would mean to to stay in state. And I think like the confusion is the point, right? Because it's not just about what is happening in state. You have now states declaring that they are going to fight, you know. Um, uh, whether or not they could prosecute people in other states, providers in other states mm -hmm. who provide mifepristone or, or patients, you know, who've always been somewhat protected in the anti-abortion uh, movement space to say we'd never prosecute uh, a mother. But in fact, um, now seeing new calls in, uh, f among the 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 opposition to um to criminalize uh the the very um person who is pregnant and seeking access to abortion and so i think the we haven't we've yet to see um how low they will go um and you know the the overreach that they continue to put on um on access to abortion do you think that it's possible we'll get to a point in the united states where they will criminalize abortion and punish the pregnant person. Uh, I, I do think that's the case. I mean, like, let's take a look at uh, what's happening right now um, in the, you know, look, part of how we got here, right, is that, you know, with the jobs decision, the decision is, has um, turned back to the states and now states, uh, instead of testing their um you, using their kind of um, legislative time to pass restrictions against abortion to bring a challenge to Roe, they are now using it to to push even more restrictive um, access, not just in their states, but across the board. Mm -hmm. So you have also in Texas a case where anti-abortion activists are asking the court to end the FDA's you know, more than two decades old approval of mifepristone, which is one of the medications um, used in a very safe, effective, common abortion regimen. Um, so even in states like New York and California and Illinois, the implication of that case could impact people across the board, right, across the nation. And so I think it is, uh, you know, in doing so, they would they would put both patients and providers um, very much at risk for um for, for use of, you know, the uh, basic regimen for achieving an, an abortion. That's a scary prospect. I mean, I think that when we are having this conversation, it's, it, it's, it, I don't want to, to overstate things, but I think 
I don't want to under <laughs> undersell mm-hmm. what we're really talking about, right? Because the reality is that it, when something is criminalized in our system, there needs to be a punishment for that. And so if we are criminalizing abortion, the question logically follows who's going to be punished. So we've already seen instances where doctors are um, the ones that are either facing civil or potentially criminal liability. Um, but but as you just said, um, I think pregnant people also, it's not as if they're, they're not going to go there. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think that we should um, hold our breath and hope that they, they won't go as far as, as, as far as they possibly can. Talk a bit more about what Planned Parenthood is doing on the ground in states. Um, because as we've already discussed, the chaos is the point, the confusion is the point, each state is different. But talk a bit about what Planned Parenthood can do in, the, in a moment post-Dobbs to ensure that people have access to some care. Yes, absolutely. I mean, look, see, you're 100% right. They are, you know, um, now that uh, in many states, um, uh, providing abortion has is, is criminal or it is a felony, um, upwards of 99 years in, in prison, $100,000 fines. You know, it certainly has obviously had an incredible chilling effect on on the, the, the provision of care uh, in many of these states. Um, but they are looking to criminalize pregnant people directly. I just want to, you know, be mm-hmm. clear. We've seen them introduce laws in Arkansas, Kansas, and Oklahoma that would allow for their prosecution. And they are testing these things to see what, what will stick, what will people tolerate. Um, and quite frankly, um, you know, because they have control and capture of the, you know, judiciary, right, of the courts mm-hmm. um, in many of these states and and nationally, if they can test things in Texas and move them through the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court, um, you know that even re- regardless of what the people think, they will continue to to use the mechanisms that they have in order to get the care. So we have been at Planned Parenthood, you know, obviously, um, on the healthcare side of our work, um, our health centers, uh, our, our affiliates and our health centers, you know, are continuing to um, to meet patients, to help them navigate their way out of state. Uh, if they need to, they're, they're definitely there um, providing access to information, uh, coordinating important funds, you know, all of the things that I think have been really important and, you know, really life-saving kind of mission work to, um, you know, to help people get access to the care they need and get care to people. Um, and that, you know, that will will continue. Um, on the political side, Planned Parenthood Action Fund and our affiliated political organizations across the country, you know, we are showing up in all of these legislative sessions, you know, where we are seeing them introduce everything from abortion bans and restrictions, not just on abortion, but also gender affirming care, mm-hmm. uh, also seeing a tax birth control, you know, um, already this year. And it's, it's what, it's not, is it even February? No, it is January the 30th. <laughs> it's not February yet. <laughs> it is only January 30th. And we have seen 130 anti-abortion bills um, introduced in 28 states. So I think that, you know, again, um, they continue to be incredibly extreme. Montana politicians are trying to make it harder for patients to access care. Kansas lawmakers, even after the ballot initiative, um, you know, in both of those states, Kansas wants to see a, a total um, abortion ban. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, on the political side, 
um, you know, what has been clear is that uh, so many of these lawmakers did not heed the lesson from the midterms, right, where we saw you know, abortion essentially um, make the case for um, for uh, the midterms and quite frankly for democracy. Um, and so I think, you know, our job is to continue to to um, educate people around what is happening in, in their states so that they know that this is, you know, while while we seek continue to seek federal solutions, um, we know that state by state is is where we have to fight. And in every state, there's a pro-reproductive rights majority. So, you know, part of I think what we also have to do is educate people that the Supreme Court um, in the Dobbs student did not ban abortion. It, it, it allowed the states to um, make their own um, their own laws. And so we have to like point people to where they can engage, not just at the you know, federal level, the, or the governor, gubernatorial level, but also the state house level at the state Supreme Court level. Um, and, and we're going to see a lot more activity there. I mean, it feels sometimes like sometimes when I when I really deeply think about this, I feel like we underappreciate certain aspects. Right. So so I'm thinking about certain things that you said throughout the course of this conversation this morning. Number one, they're already introducing bills that include criminalizing the pregnant person um so they're just testing it out um <clears throat> number two traveling to texas is a dangerous i mean that was true even before officially you know dobbs was decided that was probably true i think in the months after um their own state law passed and the supreme court was you know determining it determining um what they were going to do um on the the bigger question in in dobbs but i think that the right to travel <laughs> like you like mm -hmm. you know like we're actually at the point now where there are going to be laws that say a person who can get pregnant like can't go from one state to the next what they're gonna be like are there gonna be checkpoints i mean then we're getting into like very dystopian imagery so so when i think too deeply about some of the things you're saying are we under appreciating the dangers ahead no, certainly not. I think you're asking exactly the right questions, right? Like they can introduce these laws and then the question becomes, and how do they become enforced, right? I mean, what, what does it mean to um, to be a provider, um, you know, or, or to, to go seek access and to now say it's, it's a criminal to cross state lines in order to get access to care? Does that mean you're taking a pregnancy test every time you go through a toll booth or get on a plane? Does that mean that, you know, uh, when you return that they're, you know, ha that they have the ability or if you decide to stay in a state, they have ability to, to if they have information to come find you and, you know, extradite you back to your, uh, back to the state that, that in which you got pregnant in order to, um, you know, make a determination about your, uh, whether or not you're, you are a criminal for, for accessing healthcare. Um, these are exactly the questions that I think we have to be asking. And, and I, and look again, by and large, Americans have said over and over again, this has been a fundamental assault on our privacy, on our rights, on our act, on our free speech, on our ability to get information. Um, and um, and they have rejected this overreach again. I think it's 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 now um, really important for people to understand and continue to ask how is it that they intend to, um, you know, they intend to to follow up on, on all of these threats. 
Yeah, I mean, I how are they? Are they just gonna go? I like, are we gonna do checkpoints and pregnancy tests when when people who can get pregnant are traveling? Because like that's the logical conclusion to many yeah. of um, these introduced laws. I want to talk about contraception and birth control because I think oftentimes, um, not on this show, but in in some other places in media, we talk about abortion and that's it. And we talk about Dobbs and we talk about the implications on the right to abortion care. But last week we were talking to abortion providers and other experts about reproductive justice, but all and, and also the idea that abortion is simply on the full spectrum of reproductive health care. Mm-hmm. And contraception and birth control are also um, something impacted by Dobbs and, and many of these other proposals. Can you talk a bit about the threats to access to birth control, which you would think would be a good thing if you're somebody who doesn't want a lot of abortions, but they're going after access to birth control and contraception as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, they, and they're doing it um, under the guise of, of you know, as they, as they typically do, right? They try to reframe um, these things as in the best interest of their um you know, of, of, of the patient, right? So we're seeing like um, in Texas, again, in the same court uh, in Texas, Judge uh, Matthew Kaczmarek, um, a case around um, accessing Title 10, which is the federal government's largest program around providing uh, birth control access, um, challenging whether or not minors can get access to care. Um, we are seeing, um, you know, uh, in the same court, another um, uh, a lawsuit against Planned Parenthood uh, to shut down our ability to provide access to care by essentially trying to bankrupt our three Texas affiliates um, in a, you know, bogus, um, bogus, uh, you know, uh, case in, in uh, again, out of Amarillo. So I think that these are the places where you know, we are seeing um, we are seeing similar type kind of extreme conver- extreme cases being brought up by folks like Jonathan Mitchell, who were the the architect of SB eight. Um, you know, the ban that included a bounty hunter provision. We see them getting involved and in trying to push all of these other you know other um, cases to really impact uh, access to care. We see cases against the ACA. Um, you know, and, and their requirement to uh, of insurance plans to cover certain preventive services like contraception um, and other things. Um, we have seen cases in um, uh, where we, we, we actually, you know, because sometimes you don't always get the receipts, but we, we have, have seen audio in Tennessee of anti-abortion lawmakers um, asking the question of when, when can they start um, filing cases against contraception and IVF, right? So it's like the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health care, um, including, you know, also how people become pregnant in, in many ways. And so it just, you know, I don't, I don't know what the end game is here, um, but it is, uh, it, it really is, it, it can't be anything more than just power and control of our bodies. It's a very scary end game. That's why sometimes I have to take a break when I'm thinking too deeply about it because mm-hmm. when you just sort of play out all of the different threads, it does mm-hmm. it's a very dark and dystopian picture. I mean, it, it's it's not something where there's any level of like equal I mean, it's just like oppression and brutality and death and and um you know, I think we talk we start this conversation talking about the harms um that um 
are a consequence of the Dobbs decision. And I feel like they just are exacerbated um, as we get further down the line um, with what many of these anti-choice folks want to do. So I do want to end, though, in the last three minutes on not in a negative tone. I want to I want to <laughs> just talk about the. I want to talk about some of the good things. I mean, what are what are some of the things that are keeping you going, frankly? Um, what keeps you optimistic, if anything at all? Obviously, this isn't a moment where optimism is easy to find. But is there anything and what is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you know what? Honestly, I'm, thank you for going there because I literally was like trying to bring myself back up to it is uh, it is it's devastating. Right. And I think yeah. it is really important for people to understand what the harms are, because these are decisions that have been you know, made over time when rights get chipped away. And then you, then you're in the reality and, you know, you can't ask yourself how you right? it happened overnight. It happened, you know, over a long period of time. Um, and, and, and the fight back is going to be equally as long. So it is important to think about how are we going to get energized? How are we going to continue? And I have to tell you the people are where it's at. I mean, young people, millennials, they showed mm -hmm. up and showed out this election mm -hmm. and people of color, Gen Z, uh, you know, Latinos and and um, Black folks like were were out in full effect. Last Sunday on the anniversary of Roe, I was in Tallahassee with the vice president, um, who has been a tremendous fighter for mm -hmm. reproductive freedom. And when I tell you, like, just seeing the, the lines of folks out in the rain who came out on a Sunday morning um, to stand in line to engage, I met this one. Um, a senior in uh, high school who found out about the rally maybe you know the day before drove four hours from to park and was there just because you know they were like this is our this is our fight we right. you know we need to be here um and so i you know that is actually what's giving me hope like yeah. knowing that the structures are sacked against us there's no question that the opposition has a structural advantage right now um but the people are you know will not be stopped right they they will continue to work to um to make sure that these systems um you know are are dismantled quite frankly and and remade in favor of a mm -hmm. true democracy and so I think that that is what's exciting to me. Um, and I see it every day. I feel it every day, yeah. every time I talk to folks. Me too. Okay. So that was actually a great way to end this conversation, <laughs> which, you know, it was a hard conversation to have. I think um, not with you, you're easy to talk to, but I think the subject matter we're talking about, it, it, it can get really hard, um, but it's important to understand that the, the Gen Z, I mean, they have to fix a lot of our problems. <laughs> <laughs> they really have a long to-do list, um, but I do feel hopeful um, that they are not afraid. Like, they're not shying away from the fights, and that's something to keep in mind as well. Alexis McGill Johnson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, thank you so much for being here this morning. It was great to have you on. Please stay safe. Thank you. Same to you, Selena. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.